And welcome to Jewish Boy Calls His Mother. I'm your host, Sadia, and this is my mother, Ima. Hey, Ima. Hey, sweetheart. Kissy, kissy. I love you. Um, all right, so we're going to talk about losing the faith, but I think, I think faith is something that's a little too uh, generic, but basically going on a journey and finding, finding yourself, but sometimes finding yourself isn't necessarily having to do with being a practicing Jew. Uh, now, I know you went on a journey like that, and I was hoping you could talk about that, and then we could elaborate a little more with uh, other personal experiences. Okay. Well, quite honestly, I think in my case, um, as in many people's case, we have, you know, we see a lot of people raised in from Jewish houses that go off the derech and a lot of people are surprised and they wonder why. And I think like in most of these cases, it, it wasn't the Torah, it wasn't Judaism itself. I think it was that person's reaction to the misinterpretation or the perversion of Jewish practices that they saw among the people around them. Now, my background was really, it was like most uh, non-religious Jewish people's background. It was some things done in the house, some not, and some things that didn't make sense. Like my parents were conservative. Uh, my father worked on Shabbos. Um, we, kept a, we kept kosher in the house and we ate outside. You know, a lot of not religious Jewish people who grew up during the 50s and 60s will tell you about the big joke about, yeah, crabs in the backyard, but you couldn't bring them into the house type thing. And I was raised, of course, in, a, in the type of house where, um, oh yeah, you can, you know, everyone's, I had a secular education, of course. I did not have much of a Jewish education except for the, you know, the regular Hebrew school experience, which, um, you know, I felt that the teachers uh, did not really relate to us very well. It's done at a time when you're in public school the entire day and you're tired and you really want to go home, but, you know, it's now it's more school. There was also the problem of, I think a lot of my Hebrew teachers themselves were lacked in certain areas of Jewish education. Um, I think Hasidus... When I got older and I became from, I noticed that Hasidic philosophy, you know, studying the Tanya, studying um, the Medrash and the commentaries explained a lot of questions that I had as a child. And I remember bringing up questions to my Hebrew school teachers, like when we say Ashrei, you know, we say that God is of uh, great loving, uh, forgiving and of great loving kindness. So one day I asked my Hebrew school teacher, I don't understand this. On one hand, we say in Ashrei that, the, that God is um, love of great loving kindness. Yet look what he did to Sodom and, and Amora. He totally just obliterated an entire metropolitan area and killed all these people. I said, how can you say God is kind? Her answer to me was, don't question the word of God, which is a good cover-up for don't ask me, I don't know. <laughs> so then later when I actually... Um, made up for my lack of Jewish learning, and I became from later on and went to Mahon Khan in New York and Beis Rivka. And, you know, you study the commentaries, it's like, 
when you read about what these people were doing, it was like God came to the point, was very, very patient with them. He put up with their horrible behavior for how many, you know, many, many years until finally it came to the point where if I don't get rid of these people, they're going to destroy civilization as it is known. It was either, it's, it's either them or the world. So that, you know, you can understand a little better. Also, um, you asked like about, you said I became like, I'm, I'm going to say atheistic, but when I look back now, I really was not a Jewish atheist. I was a Jewish ignoramus. It happened when I was like around roughly 13, 14, about 14, 15 years old, around there. And I fell like into this, like, how can I say it? This, it, it was very much in vogue to be very intellectual and to be atheistic, liberal, atheistic, you know, intellectual. It was like a whole persona that um, quite a few people were following, and I kind of fell into that. Um, the straw, though, that broke the camel's back was when I was 14, it was Yom Kippur, and I decided, well, maybe I'll tr I didn't want to go to shul. My parents convinced me to go to shul. So I said, you know, maybe I'll reconnect. I'll go to this. It was a modern Orthodox synagogue that shall be nameless. <laughs> um, and I decided I would come in and just sit in the back and listen to the canner singing. And maybe I can kind of reconnect. Um, I sat there and this man walked over to me who was like an, I guess an usher, sergeant at arms, whatever. He says, excuse me, do you have a ticket? I said, um, no. I said, I don't, but I just wanted to come in and hear the canner sing and there's nobody sitting in the section. I said, can I just sit back here? And if someone comes in, if it's their seat, I'll give it to them. He says, no, you have to leave. And I was shocked. I said, I was only 14. I said, why? I said, can I just sit here? and hear the canter sing, no, you have to leave. So I got up and I left. My father was sitting out in the car. I walked over. I said, to, I ripped off my Jewish star that I was wearing around my neck. I said, that's it. I'm finished. And I told my father what happened. And my father tried to explain to me very patiently, like, hey, you know, this was the action of one individual. And, you know, you can't totally throw over the religion because of one actually he tried to explain to me but I was I was 14 I was very upset and I just I didn't even touch anything Jewish after that I just stopped keeping any little semblance of what I was keeping I just stopped I told my mother I'd become an atheist I didn't believe in God anymore <laughs> and that's how I was for my goodness almost until um how can I say it I'm almost like until my senior year of college. That's the way I was for almost, I guess you would say, uh, the next eight years. And I, I interdated because I figured, well, you know, first of all, you go to public school and you're taught everyone is equal, you know, equal opportunity, everyone's equal. We're taught, you know, being anti-discrimination. And it's like, well, if everyone's equal, what, why logically then do I have to only date Jewish boys? You know, I mean, if someone's a very fine young man, he happens not to be Jewish, so, you know, so what? What's the difference? And, of course, it upset my parents very, very much. But, you know, my parents didn't, my parents were raised in, in a, I guess, in an atmosphere where even if you didn't keep so many mitzvahs, 
you just didn't interdate. You at least you married, you dated Jewish, you married Jewish. And I tried to explain, wait a minute, you didn't raise me like this. I, my whole education, my whole upbringing was, yes, we are all equal. Yes, we are all the same. You know? So why are you getting upset now that I'm following this philosophy that basically you raised me with? So what happened was, what changed me was, um, even though I was quote unquote atheistic, at least I thought in my mind, um, I never was a self-hating Jew. I was always, I always felt Judaism was my cultural heritage. And when I came to my senior year of college, I promised myself a trip to Europe. And I wasn't, I think, I, I think we went over this before one of our other podcasts. Yeah, we podcasts. did. We talked yeah. about it in the previous podcast. Right. right. If anybody so, wants to so listen what to happened. that. Yeah. So, that, so I'm not going to go into that again. But, um, you know, I went to Israel and I met Shalom Karabach and his group. And I met, um, of course, the people from uh, Yeshiva Hartzion. Um, I met a lot of very, very fine people. And it, uh, it brought and you back. I dabbled at the Kotel, which was a very spiritual experience. It was absolutely amazing. And then to go back home and try to go to my parents' conservative synagogue after diving by the coattail, uh-uh, sorry. It's like, it's like eating a very, very fine steak made by a very fine chef and now having to um, buy a hamburger at a McDonald's. No, no pug against, no one, nothing against McDonald's, but <laughs> well, no, it's, it's like you have a refined palate. I think that's, I think that's what it is anyways. Um, because you mentioned previously about how like, you know, it's this idea of like, well, why can't I marry outside of my faith? And, you know, we're all equal. And, and, and I mean, it's true. We all are equal in the, in the eyes of God. And that that's something that's very, very true. But I think what's it has to be kind of re-registered is that you have to kind of keep in uh, keep in mind there's other factors when it comes to culture and when it comes to um holding on to what was given to us because we were given you know the torah and we were told to keep it um we can't just throw it away we can't throw it out so it's not necessarily saying you know i'm better than you because i keep the faith one way and you keep the faith the other way it's just that this is what is given to me and I have the obligation to hold on to it. Mm -hmm. And I think people have to understand that it's an obligation. And I think people don't want to hear obligations. The, the world is all about pleasure. They want to have pleasure and receive pleasure and, and have all this pleasure in this world. And it's not about this world. It's about, you know, doing your obligations and doing your due diligence and doing the right thing. And I think that's where it gets, you know, a little different. Um, when it comes to the importance of being Jewish and, and marrying Jewish. And, and it's just, it's just something that like, you know, you don't want to offend anybody and, and it's nothing to be offended by. It's just that we have to hold on to the five books of Moses and this is how we do it. You know, please don't take offense to it. Well, besides that too, the, there's a very practical thing in that I realize had I, married had i married a non-jewish man i think as time went on my spirituality eventually would have clicked in one way or the other and i think i could already see with you know some of the jewish non-jewish men i was dating like one particularly that was very very seriously dating 
I could see that eventually it would have been a problem. And I've, I've taught Hebrew school. I've taught um, children who were from mixed marriages. And of course, where the, where the mother was Jewish and the kids, you know, kids knew that they were Jewish. They were very, they were very actively Jewish, very consciously Jewish, which I thought was you know, very wonderful. But these kids have told me that they love their father so much and that they wish their fathers were Jewish because they feel like there's something missing, that the, it's, there's something missing in the entire family not participating in, in basically in their, in their Jewish experience. And they wish that their fathers could be part of that. Well, even, even more so, and this is experiences that I've had where I've met people where their father was Jewish and their mother was not. So according to Jewish law, they are not Jewish and they get offended that they're not Jewish or they get hurt that they, they feel like, no, I'm Jewish. My father's Jewish. And we have to sadly tell them, sorry, that's just not how it works. I mean, and that's the whole point is that like in Judaism is about the law. And I think the biggest frustration that, that I've had when it came to growing up in the from, from religious world is that I would get offended by these rabbis who would be kind of mean or cruel the way they'd explain stuff. But it's not about them. It's about the law and that we have to keep the law and the law doesn't care about your feelings. It's, it's what we have to do. And, you know, we, we, we want to be moralistic people. We want to be, you know, people that do tikkun olam, you know, they, to elevate this world by making it a better place. And you think that to make it a better place, you have to do certain things that might seem to be against the Torah. So you start doing those things. The rabbis say, you can't do it. And we yell and scream and call them all sorts of names because we feel like, no, that's not right. That's not true. But the, the answer is, is that these are rules, whether we agree with them or not, that, that we have to do in order to keep this chain. You know, it's a giant chain that we kind of have. And that's kind of how it works. I mean, I know from my experience that there were situations where people would be, you know, parents would be keeping the Sabbath but they would get, re to get ready for the, uh, for the Sabbath or for Shabbos. Um, there was a lot of pressure, uh, a lot of frustrations, a lot of anger. And as soon as Shabbos begins, all of a sudden they're calm, you know? And like, they just don't talk about the fact that they just literally flipped their shit at their kid and yelled them for five minutes straight because you know, they weren't getting dressed quickly enough, you know? But all of a sudden now everything is fine. Like, it sounds, it seems hypocritical and it throws people off and it throws people's faith off. Um, I mean, another situation would be, I, I, I've seen where, you know, a father would be at, you know, the Shabbos table yelling and screaming at, you know, their son and, and breaking a knife, you know, and then it wonder why the son doesn't want to keep Shabbos. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, we have to live as an example. Like you, you want, you want people to go ahead and follow you. Maybe don't be such a fucking asshole. I mean, that's just, that's just the, that like teenage anger that I kind of had growing up. Um, I kind of, I never really broke Shabbos or Kashrus. I never really went off the derech as you would say, but I think the biggest frustration is, is that you, you gotta, you gotta also be realistic um, with the people around you. And I, I know it, it's hard. It's, I, I could just say it from experience of, of remembering as a teenager that like parents need to kind of loosen the grip a little bit when it comes to you know the rules um i know for on your side your parents didn't really have a lot of strict rules and therefore because the, it was pretty loose you kind of felt there was no need to have it in the first place and 
you felt religiously you really weren't doing anything anyway, so it didn't really matter. But for me, it's more of like, like when rules are so strict, it's it's coming out of your ears. You you have no let up. You have no place to kind of, you know, let loose or or feel a little more comfortable in your skin. And I think the other issue is that, you know, a lot of times people use fear as a basis. You know, like oh, God's going to punish you, or you know, I, or I'm going to punish you <laughs> if, if you do anything wrong. And fear lasts, but it doesn't last so long because eventually people stop living in fear and they'll stand up or they'll just walk away. And I think it's really understanding the, the love that Hashem has for us and the love that Judaism can bring, you know, that can really keep people in the faith is that you just shower them with love. And that's really, in my opinion, like the main answer to what we were talking about. Also, I think that um, something else, too, that you probably talked about um, as far as Judaism goes, that um, before I got involved with Chabad and started to learn Hasidus, um, the Judaism that was, exp- uh, that was presented to me was very, very cold and rigid, a rigid type thing. You know, uh, this is it. And there's, I didn't even know. I had no idea that Judaism was supposed to be a mystical religion. I had no idea that, that there was anything called Jewish mysticism. Um, I thought it was just, well, you know, just these uh, Shabbos, Kashris, yada, 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 you know, strict rules like that, you know. And um, I think that the, a lot of, you know, I think that a lot of people, if more people were exposed to Hasidus, which is Jewish mysticism, it would answer a lot of questions for them that they that they have like um you know for example uh, you know the question is okay we all know okay we make a bracha because it's nice to thank hashem for what he gave us fine well why does it have to be in hebrew well now see regular logic can only take you so far yeah, why, regular- hebrew? Wait, 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 why hebrew because it explains in the Tanya, the outro explains in the Tanya, that there are mystical forces, mystical godly forces that are brought down. And how are they brought down? The energies are brought down through the power of the Aleph Bays, and the formation of each letter brings down that particular spiritual energy for that particular object. And I told this to somebody who had been through like all 12 years of regular Hebrew day school, and when she heard this explanation, she was like, her mouth dropped open. She said, wow. So she goes, so that explains it. Yeah, I think, I think what it is is that like you're talking about old school teaching where literally there was just a lot of, a lot of like shut up into your fucking job kind of attitude. But it's, it's not just old school. You'd be surprised, quite honestly, how many Jewish schools have a very cut and dry attitude and presentation to the kids, which is, which brings up something else. We were talking about like Rebbeim and, you know, parents, teachers, Rebbeim, you know, Rebbeim. I think a lot of our Jewish schools have to stop feeling, how can I say, threatened when kids bring up very difficult spiritual dilemmas that they're going through. I think, I think there's a certain defensiveness. I, I think I don't think it's defensive. <laughs> I think it's just teachers don't have time to explain all that to a kid, and that if they wanted to, they'd have to go ahead and literally have a separate class of explanations, and then that's going to bleed into more like 
politics and issues. Like the, the biggest thing I know is when I was in TA was that you had a lot of Ashkenazi, Sephardi, Mizrahi, you know, Chabad, uh, Chabad Litvish, all sorts of Jews all together. And they have to make a, you know, criteria. They have to make a whole, you know, um, not synopsis. What's that word when you have a whole list of things that has to get done? It's an education. Curriculum. Thank you. Jeez Louise, I've been forgetting what. Yeah, curriculum. So they have to make a whole curriculum that satisfies all of those things. And you have to keep up with Sephardi Minhagim, Ashkenazi Minhagim, um, Yeshivish Minhagim, you know, Hasidic Minhagim, all that stuff. And you have to kind of set a precedent of like, well, what is the core, you know, criteria? So when you have a kid asking a question, you really get multiple answers to to that question because like just like when you were when you were talking about you know well if I say a blessing why can't I say it in English? Actually, you know according to like uh, most most people and like, even you can even hear from like Rabbi Katz in his podcast, um, he talks about how like you know yeah that that's actually okay you actually are allowed to do it there actually you know is a good reasoning behind it, but you can see that socially speaking, it kind of turned into something else. You know, like the only real difference between reform Judaism and regular Judaism back in the day was they had an organ in the synagogue and they did everything in German. And now it's completely different. And it's just like, it's, it's, you don't want to have that trickle down effect and that where like, if this is okay, then this is going to be okay. And that's kind of how Judaism works where you're just trying to keep everyone together and trying not to break anything apart. So you can't even say one opinion over another because you're just creating more questions and you're still trying to teach this fifth grader, you know, basic understanding of Gemara and Mishnayas. Yeah, but the thing thing is this, I think with kids, if a a kid, if a young person, old person, any person, has a question of faith that is really bothering them, the, 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 the rabbis and the teachers, you know, you make time for this kid. You, you know, you want you, you meet them after class or something, you make some time for them. The, the, their questions need to be answered and or their questions need to be expressed. And if you don't know the answer, if you're a teacher or a parent or a Rebbe, and you don't know the answer to say a, a question of faith that this kid has, you can, you can be honest and say, hey, you know, I, I don't know. It's a good question. I don't know the answer, but you know what? I'm going to, let me ask some people and I'll get back to you and try to research the question. Try to give this kid a little time. You know, I taught, I taught in a reformed temple and I've taught conservative um, as a from person. I purposely got these jobs because I, I thought I had a lot to offer the non-religious Jewish kids. And I, always made it a point to treat them with a lot of respect. And they did have a lot of questions and they did have some very interesting point of views. And I acknowledged them. I said, that's a very interesting point of view. I said, and you expressed, one girl uh, said something to me, I forgot what it was about, but it was something in Judaism that she disagreed with. And the way she presented her reasoning was excellent reasoning. And she expressed it very, very well. And I said, you know, you expressed that opinion so well and your reasoning is so good. I said, and I hate to say that I disagree. I really do because you really expressed this excellently. But let me explain to you um, at why I disagree with it. 
And I said, and I'm, think, and I'm told her, I said, I really respect you a lot. And I'm just telling you though, and why I, I disagree with your opinion. And I explained it to her about the certain point of Judaism that this is done because of this. And therefore this is why we yada, whatever. And she said, oh, then she, she understood it. That's what I mean. You've got to answer these guys. They, they can't get defensive about it. You can't get aggressive. You have to really listen to their questions and really try to see their point of view and treat them, you know, like I said, answer them with a lot of respect as best you can. And if you don't have the answer, it's okay for a teacher or anyone to say, I'm, you're not God. You know, admit you're not God. <laughs> Check on your driver's license. You're going to see your name there. You're not going to see G-D. <laughs> and tell them, um, it's a great question. I don't know the answer, but you know what? I'll be willing. Let me ask some people and research it for you and get back to you. Yeah. I think that, that, that ends our um, podcast, but just to add my, my point to elaborate on yours is that, yeah, I think the biggest situation is that we have to understand that humans are, you know, fallible, that they, they make mistakes and that we also can't put too much pressure on a rabbi and blame him for why I, you know, I went off the derach or whatnot. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's a really good point. Um, so that concludes our, our session and thank you so much, Ima. I really appreciate it. Love you, honey. Have All a good right, Shabbos. You. Have a good Shabbos. Bye-bye, hon. Bye-bye. Hi, thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe and share. I really appreciate it. And my mother does as well.